Welcome back. Uh, good to see everyone back. Great singing. Man, that was awesome. Um, two quick announcements. Freshman Bible study, Blake wanted me to announce for the next two weeks, for obvious reasons. Um, the Bible study will be at Blake and Lindsay's house. The directions are on the website right next to um, the directions for us. Under contact us, you'll see Blake, and then you'll see um, uh, our directions as well. But the directions are there. And the reason why the Bible study is there is because Susie is scheduled to be induced uh, on Thursday morning, really early. And so that that's what's up with that. But after spring break, we'll be back to normal. So anyway, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Surprising you tonight. We're going to the Old Testament. Remember, I'm doing some of my favorite passages, some significant passages that I think uh, we should spend time in. And Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 is definitely one of those. Let me begin by asking you a question. How do you respond to ruin? The ruin you see around you. Susie and I were reminded of (laughs) ruin this uh, past Christmas break. We were cleaning up our house, getting ready for family to come visit us for the holidays. While we were cleaning, the girls, Kate and Elizabeth, were in Kate's room uh, playing, or so we thought. After we cleaned and uh, got ready and got the house kind of tidied up, I decided to head back and see what Kate and Elizabeth were up to. I opened the door, total destruction. (laughs) Unlike anything I had seen them do ever, every piece of clothing, you know this, you've probably done it, every piece of clothing pulled out of the drawer, every picture off of the wall, things were everywhere, every book off of the shelf, and then under kind of the rubble, I see some ripped up pieces of paper that look like pages out of a book, and as I got closer, it was obvious that they were pages out of a Bible. And as I got a little closer, I realized that it wasn't just any Bible, but it was their great-grandfather's first Bible, a family treasure, Susie's grandfather's first Bible that he had given her. Somehow they had gotten a hold of this Bible, climbed up on a couple of chairs, with a chair up on... Uh, a dresser, got this Bible and totally ruined it. Totally destroyed this Bible. Needless to say, I was not a happy camper. (laughs) But what about you? How do you respond to ruin? All around us we see pictures of ruin. Natural disasters. We see businesses, as we speak, going under in ruin. The economy is faltering. We see families that are ruined through conflict and divorce. In Genesis chapter 3, we see another picture of ruin. But it, I want to suggest, is unlike anything that we have ever seen. 
I think you'll see what I mean as we read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Please stand with me as I read God's Word. This is God's holy and inspired Word as I'm turning. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is that this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is God's Word. Let me pray. Father, we thank You uh, for this passage. Would You help us uh, to understand it more deeply? Because this is a very significant portion of Scripture. Because in it, uh, You show us what has happened to the world. You show us what is wrong with us. What is wrong with our relationships. Would you show us more about who we are through this passage tonight? But would you also show us more about who you are and the incredible love and grace of our God? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This passage, Genesis chapter 3, may very well be one of, if not the, it's a pretty strong statement. Most important chapters in all of the Bible. I didn't say it was more inspired than any other chapter, but it is important. It is certainly true that if you don't understand Genesis chapter 3, then you won't understand the rest of Scripture. Why? Well, it's simple. 
You can't understand God's plan for the world and God's remedy for the world if we don't understand what happened in this event in Genesis 3. This event that occurred in real history, in real space and time, commonly known as the fall of man. This passage explains for us what is wrong with our relationships. What is wrong with us and what is wrong with the world? It's safe to say that if we don't get this passage, then we'll never really understand ourselves. And we'll never really understand the world. Because you see, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, if you look at that, verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that He had made, and it was not just good, very good. You see, when God completed the original creation, it was very good. It was perfect. And then something tragic happens. We just read about it. Sin enters God's good and perfect world, and the perfect creation in a moment, one cosmic moment, is literally blown to bits. And now... Instead of harmony in relationships, we experience struggle. We experience conflict. Instead of order and harmony with the world, now we experience chaos. Instead of life, we experience disease and death and pain. Instead of enjoying God's good creation that He created for us to enjoy, now all we do is envy and want what other people have. Instead of resting, we run. Instead of obeying God out of love, we shake our fist in rebellion at, uh, at Him. Instead of running to God, now oftentimes we run and hide in shame. In short, Genesis chapter 3 tells us this. Sin ruins everything. And we don't get it. We don't get it because here's what we often do. We often minimize what sin really is. We minimize it and we often just dismiss it as a mistake or shortcoming, and we commit it day after day without blinking an eye. And not only that, we neglect the way sin ruins everything. We neglect it and we say, oh, it'll be okay. It's not that bad. Well, at least it's not as bad as what that person is going through. It's not really a big deal, but it is. It ruins everything. And we also doubt how God will respond. Because if the truth be told, we really don't believe that God's going to respond and draw near to us in our ruin. And so tonight, in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to answer those three questions. We're going to look at what sin really is, how sin really does ruin everything, and how God response. First, let's look at what sin is. If you have an outline, you can follow along with me. 
Look at verse 3. God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, lest you die. Then look at verse 6. What happens? The woman saw the tree, and it was a delight to her eyes. And she took its fruit, and she ate it. What is sin? Sin is an assault against God. There's no other way to put it. Our sin is treason against God. We are rebels and we are traitors and we abandon God and His good and loving and perfect ways. God designed us. He created us for dignity and for glory. And we commit cosmic treason against Him by rejecting His authority and by rejecting His goodness. You see, we think that sin is just law-breaking, but it is law-making. Look at verse 5. You see it in the allure of the tree. The allure is you can be like God. You can decide what is right and what is wrong. You can make the law. You can establish yourself as the own authority. You can do what you want, and when we do that, it is an assault against the one true God. Why not the forbidden tree? Why can't we eat from that one? Well, Adam and Eve answered that. The Scripture doesn't tell us. But Adam and Eve said, it's because God is holding out on us. He doesn't love us. If God really loved us, then He would let us eat from that tree. He's not good. He doesn't have our best interest in mind. He doesn't really love us. But God says, it's because I commanded you to. And to go against one of my commands is an assault on me. God says, I want you to just do this one thing because I'm God. And for no other reason than because you love me. In this passage, Genesis chapter 3 shows us, and because of it, we are born just like Adam and Eve. Born with a natural bent towards rebellion. Surely you've all felt it in your heart. A natural bent towards rebellion. We want to be our own God, if the truth be told. We are born rebels. You've heard me share this before this illustration, but it's an incredible illustration of our rebellion. The Titanic, you know, it's a movie, huge blockbuster, cheesy, but got a great illustration about our rebellion in it. In the movie, uh, we see there's one warning. Titanic, beware of icebergs. But in reality, there were six warnings. And upon... The sixth warning, the telegraph operator says, shut up, I'm busy. And he gave the captain to increase the, the order to increase the speed so that they would break the record from a cruise from England to America. And 35 minutes after the last warning was given, an iceberg, a huge iceberg rips a 3,000 foot gash into the side of the Titanic. 
and 1,500 people died. That's our heart. That's the rebellion that exists in our hearts. God says, go love your neighbor down the hall that's struggling, that needs a friend. Shut up, God. I'm busy. Don't run after the things of the world, the things that are going to leave you empty. Come find life in me, God says. And we say, shut up, God. I'm busy. Be holy as I'm holy. Shut up, God. I'm busy. Let there not even be a hint, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, of sexual immorality in your midst. Shut up, God. I'm busy. Because of Genesis chapter 3, every single one of us are born rebels. And now, instead of obeying and loving God, we rebel against Him. Instead of saying, okay, God, whatever you want. Now our natural tendency, more often than not, is to say, shut up, God. I'm busy. Do you see the ruin? Do you see the tragedy? Do you see the anguish of what sin has done to us and has done to our relationship with God? Our sin is an assault against God. Do you believe that tonight? Do you see your sin as an assault against God or do you see it as a mistake and as a shortcoming? Something you just shrug off without even thinking twice. It's an assault against your Creator. And when we get this, when we get, and it makes its way down into our hearts, that our sin really is an assault against God, guess what? Our repentance will go deep. It'll go deep like David's repentance went in Psalm 51. Remember, that's the psalm where David confesses about his sin with Bathsheba. And you know what he says? He says, against you, God, and you only have I sinned. My prayer is that God would help all of us, me included, to see our sin for what it really is. And that we would experience repentance. And that we would turn from the ways that we are rebelling against Him in our lives. So what is sin? It's an assault against God. Secondly, let's look and see how sin ruins. Look at verse 5. Isn't it interesting? The enemy promised opened eyes if they ate of the fruit. And then look at verse 7. Boy, did they get opened eyes. They got opened eyes, all right. And instead of getting more, which is what the enemy promised them, if they would eat of the fruit, they get so much less. It says their eyes were opened... And they realized that they were naked. And it's not a discovery of nudity. 
It's a discovery of shame. The dream of being like God is long gone. And now they open their eyes and all they see is ruin and anguish and destruction and tragedy. Friends, sin brings such an anguish. It brings such shame that so many of us neglect, but it is so real. And we neglect it and we say things like, well, it's not that bad. Well, at least I'm not as messed up as that person. Man, they got it bad. They really have gone through some stuff. It'll be okay. It's not that bad. Sin ruins everything. Sin brings a complete reversal of the way the world was intended to function and the way you were created to be. Sin, instead of, you know, Adam and Eve, in that one moment, they migrate in that one moment when they migrate to the place that they were never supposed to be, which was the center of the world. Creation was blown to bits. And the place where we see the effects of sin more than any other is in our relationships. In our relationships with God, as I've described earlier, but also in our relationship with other people. Look at verses 8 and 9. They heard the Lord God walking in the garden and they hid. Sin makes us fearful hiders. Every single one of us in this room, because of this event, is hiding. We're hiding because we are so scared that we're going to be found out. That someone is going to know us to the bottom. And you're so scared, and our deepest fear is that someone is going to know us to the bottom of who we are for who we really are, and they're going to either reject us or they're going to hurt us. They're either going to see who we are and they're going to run the other way and hide their face from us, never to return. Sin makes us hiders. In every relationship, we have this tendency because of this event to hide. And our shame is so deep that one of the ways we hide is by blaming. Look at verse 12 and 13. Adam says to God, the woman you put here, it's her fault. Adam says, it's your fault, God, and it's her fault. We are so scared that someone is going to see what's inside of us. And so we get the heat off of ourselves and we point the finger. And we say, it's their fault. And so we point the finger at our roommate. When you're married, you're going to point the finger at your spouse. You're going to point the finger at your children. We point the finger at our parents, at our friends, at our boyfriend or girlfriend or someone we're dating. Do you see the ruin? It gets even more tragic. Because not only are we fearful hiders and shamed blamers, but we're also self-coverers. Look at verse 7. 
verse 7 says that we now self-cover. When they knew that they were naked, they left and went with their own hands. They sewed fig leaves together. You see how they're creating their own self-covering. And they covered themselves up. A friend of mine tells a story. I'm sure if you were at the fall conference, you heard this story. But tells a story about a time he was in college. He went home and he gets home and his parents are gone. He's starving and he doesn't want to wait till dinner. He needs something to hold him over. He sees some apples on the counter and he decides to take an apple and he takes these apples that look shiny and green and beautiful and he takes a bite out of it and almost immediately he spits it out. Come to find out that the apples are four years old and his mom had waxed them and treated them and polished them to keep them looking beautiful on the inside. But on the outside, or but on the inside, polished on the outside, but on the inside, it was rotten. And it was liquid, literally, liquid mush. In a similar way, Every one of you looks great on the outside. But on the inside, we are full of shame. We're full of guilt. And we're painfully, every one of us is painfully aware that we have broken God's law. And to try to cover up the shame and cover up our brokenness, we go and create coverings for ourselves. And we cover up our brokenness. How do we do that? Well, there's lots of ways. You can either rebel against God like the younger brother, if you were here last week, and go out and just openly rebel against God. But I would say most of us rebel against God or hide and cover up with our goodness. We try to cover up our own brokenness by filling our lives with more good things. And so we'll get one more accountability group, one more Bible study, one more small group, one more extracurricular activity, and we'll fill our lives with it. Now those aren't bad things, but the question is, are you trying to avoid your brokenness through covering it up with some good work? Remember the quote from last week, if you were with us in Hodges Chapel from Flannery O'Connor, she says the best way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. Careful obedience to all the rules in the Christian life is often just a ploy, just a way to avoid God and to avoid dealing with our hearts. Do you feel the anguish? Do you feel your own sense of of brokenness. Where are you hiding tonight? Where are you covering up? What are you covering up with? Who or what are you blaming for your sin? You see, in the Christian life, because of Jesus, we no longer have to run and hide and cover up with fig leaves. But instead, He covers us with His righteousness. And so we can go before the God 
of the universe and say, it's true. And we can deal with our shame and we can deal with our brokenness. Do you feel the anguish of sin? Don't neglect it. Don't minimize it. Now for the good news. How God responds. As long as I'm going to live, I'm always going to remember September 11th, 2001. You will probably always remember it in your lifetime as well. It's one of those events that happens and you always remember where you were in that time. And I could probably ask anyone in this room, where were you on September 11th when the first plane hit? And you could probably tell me. I was in Orlando, Florida in seminary. I know exactly what class I was in. And we heard a few weeks ago, you know there's been, uh, when John Stone was here preaching, he talked about there's been these documentaries made since then. And you see all the footage that you didn't see on that day, that the you know TV stations didn't cover. You get people's personal uh, camcorders and you know camera phones and that kind of thing that's getting all this... Uh, footage, extra footage, and one of the things that he brought out, and I'm going to have a different kind of application of it, but was the fact that if you look at the footage, all the people are running away from the ruin. And then going, there's another group going the complete opposite way, and it's the firefighters and the police officers. The natural tendency of human beings, when we encounter ruin, is to go the complete opposite way and to run away from it. But the firefighters and the police officers say, let's go to it. Let's go rescue the ruin. That's what God does. God goes to the ruin. He runs to it. He moves towards it. Look, How do I know? Look at verse 8. It says they heard the Lord God walking in the garden. Do you see it? They are ruined. They are ruined sinners. But God doesn't abandon the garden. He goes looking for them. Desperate people need to know someone is looking for them. And God pursues them in the midst of their ruin. God pursues ruined sinners. And some of you don't believe that tonight. Some of you think for sure God is going to draw back. You think for sure when He sees your ruin and when He sees the mess that you've made of your life and the mess that's in your family, that He's going to hide His face and run the other way. Not our God. Not the God of the Bible. That's the complete opposite. That's not the gospel. The gospel says God draws near to the ruin. God pursues the ruin. And when He draws near, look at this, He draws out. Adam and Eve, you got to hear this. They run and hide because they know what they deserve. You with me? They are afraid because they know they have rebelled against the living God. 
And they know they deserve to die, to be struck down right on the spot. But look at the amazing grace. God comes to them and He draws them out with tender questions. And it's not because He didn't know the answer. God draws them out because He wants confession. He wants repentance, not condemnation. And so look there. He asks, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Why did you do it? He's saying, where is your shame coming from? He's trying to draw out the reason for their shame. He's not trying to ruthlessly shame them. God's looking for confession, not for condemnation. And so often that is not the message of the church. It's not so often... Not the message of Christianity. You want to know the message of Christianity so often? Not always, but oftentimes. It is God draws out sinners and we drive them out. We say, if you're ruined, if you've been broken and bruised by sin, then get out of here. So often that is what we say. For people that have been broken by the fall, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is the complete opposite. The gospel says God draws near with compassion and with grace. How can God draw near? Well, because He draws the wrath that we deserve. You know, when something's ruined, somebody's got to pay. We, along with Adam and Eve, we're connected with Adam and Eve. Blue creation to bits. Back in Genesis 3. God would blow His Son to bits. So that you and I could be rescued. So that you and I could be redeemed. God comes in verse 15 and He gives the first promise of the gospel. Right here in Genesis chapter 3, He points us to Jesus and He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you will crush or bruise His heel. Do you see it? There will be an offspring, God is saying, that will come from Eve and that offspring will crush the head of the serpent. You know who the seed is? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who has come and has crushed the head of the serpent. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 4, When the time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman... Born under law to redeem those under the law so that we might be sons and daughters of the Most High God. You see, the reason God draws out is because He knows that someone must pay. And it's Him. He pays. And He says, I'm going to send my Son, 
born of a woman and the serpent is going to strike his heel and he is going to suffer and die and experience the wrath that you and I deserve and he is going to crush the head of the serpent and he is going to redeem ruined sinners no matter how ruined. You hear that? No matter how ruined they may be. That's the message of the gospel. And friends, that's the message that we at RUF seek to proclaim every single week. If you've been here any amount of time at all, you know that what I do is I stand up, or what I, my hope is that I do, is I stand up and I tell students that have been bruised and broken by the fall, That Jesus stands ready to save you, no matter how ruined you might be. What a great Savior. What a great God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being kind to us. Thank you for being gentle to us. Thank you for not 